0: George MacDonald was a 19th century Scottish minister well known for his stories and fables and parables. How many of you guys have read MacDonald? Anyone? He's uh, he's good. He used a parable to describe the process of sanctification in the Christian's life. Now, sanctification is commonly defined as the growth in holiness that inevitably follows a born-again conversion. It's not... Will it ha- it's not uh, you know, that it may happen, it will happen. Uh, holiness will begin to enter into the Christian's life. It's the process by which God begins to bring us into conformity with His Son, which is His stated purpose in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. God says, "...for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son." So uh, as every Christian here can testify, the process of sanctification is sometimes slow, sometimes very uneven, and sometimes uh, quite messy. Uh, I was sharing with someone just this last week that uh, sanctification can be a very slow process in the life, and I think God has designed it thusly, that we know every single day as we go to confess our sin, we know we can't do any good thing apart from Him. We know we, we're utterly desperate for the, the radical grace of Jesus. I think this is one, you know, Piper talks about this, and I think this is one of the reasons for the slow sanctification process. That we never forget, we need Him. We need Him every second. We need Him for that next heartbeat. We need Him for everything. And so the process can be slow and painful. I mean, I, I know Christians that have struggled with a particular sin for years, even decades. And some of you may have a testimony uh, similar to that. If we read our Bibles, we understand that sanctification is another example of God's sovereignty in the believer's life and the believer's responsibility. We see this all through Scripture. And I I actually personally, I know some people uh, shy away from the sovereignty of God. I love it. And I worship Him for it. Praise God for His sovereignty in my life. But sanctification is another example of that. I like to say that the believer is called in the New Testament to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. While the Holy Spirit is doing all the heavy lifting, we are called to cooperate. We are called to obedience, are we not? We are called to holiness. God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. We're called to it. It's a command. Again, we know the Holy Spirit is doing all the heavy lifting, but the, but the Lord is calling us to pursue holiness. There's this beautiful biblical balance and tension between the sovereignty of God and the respons- our own responsibility in sanctification. It's Phil- uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. You know it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for His good pleasure. It's, he's calling you to do it, but God's at work in you. I love it. I just love it. I love the, the, the beautiful balance between sovereignty and man's responsibility. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Philippians 2 there. He says this, Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God Himself willing and working at what will give Him the most pleasure. What will give God the most pleasure? Someone tell me. What gives God pleasure? Great pleasure. The most pleasure. His own glory. What's the second thing that gives God great pleasure? The joy of His people. This is what God is always doing. God is always bringing glory to Himself and, and bringing joy into the lives of His people. This is Sanctification. God will glorify Himself in your sanctification and He will bring you joy in your own sanctification if you are pursuing it, if you are pursuing your own sanctification. God uh, has clearly called the believer to cooperate. And I love this about the balance and the tension between sovereignty and responsibility. Whether we have a good day or a bad day, we can rejoice in what God is doing in our lives. Amen? On a good day, I find more obedience in my life than disobedience. On a good day, uh, I, I love God more than I love myself, seemingly. On a good day, uh, I have more of that stranger-in-exile mentality than I have being uh, hopeless, hopelessly absorbed in the things of the world. That's a good day. I rejoice in who I am becoming in Christ. I rejoice that God's hand is on me and God is doing Philippians chapter 1. He's completing the good work He's begun. And yes, even Jim Albright is cooperating in what God has called Jim Albright to do. And it's one of those beautiful days. You know, you feel the pleasure of God in your life. It's a beautiful day. You rejoice in what God is doing. But on a not-so-good day, when there's more disobedience than obedience, when there's more self-love than love for Jesus and when I'm way too comfortable in this world, uh, on a day like that, as a true believer, ultimately I can still rejoice. Why? I can't, I can't readily see the work of God in my life, but His promise is still good. He is at work in my life, even if I can't see it readily manifested. And, and, and I, I can rejoice. I have, I have an advocate with the Father, 1 John chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we confess our sin and He's faithful and, and just to forgive us. We, we go and we confess and it's gone as far as the east is from the west. But I can also rejoice with respect to my sanctification. God's hand is still on me on, that, on, that, on my worst day. God's hand is still on me. He'll never let go. What is Jesus saying in the Gospel of John about nine times? I'll never lose one of my own. Even on my worst day, I can still rejoice. My sin is forgiven, and my sanctification marches on because of the faithfulness of God. Amen? My sanctification marches on because He is faithful. He is faithful. God's promise is good. I like, you know, I love how C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity. He says, you know, ultimately resting, which is what we always have to do in the sovereignty of God, Lewis says, after the first few steps in the Christian life, we realize that everything which really needs to be done in our souls can be done only by God. Amen? There's no good thing in me. Not one. If God was to take His hand off me, I'd fall into hell immediately. There's not one good thing in me apart from what God has done in me and apart from the work of the Holy Spirit uh, that he's doing in me. So back to George McDonald. You thought I forgot, right? Back to George. George tells a parable about sanctification. He, and he he wants you to imagine that you're a living house, and and God's going to come in and, and do some work. And you know God comes in to to, uh, to do the work. And and you know he 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 fixes the the, the the leaky faucet and the hole in the roof. You knew those things needed to be done. No surprise there. But then God starts raising. R-A-Z-E. Raising. You know what this means. Tearing down huge chunks of your house. And he starts throwing up new structures. And you wonder, what in the world is he doing? Right? What's God doing? You know, God doesn't God hasn't come into your life to dust you off and turn you, as George MacDonald says, into a nice little cottage. God has come into your life and he's going to build a palace and he's going to live there. So everything that's unholy has got to go. And it will go. Through the process of sanctification. Beloved. God is at work for your joy. You know if we could ever catch this vision. If we really understood that God was at work in us for our joy. I think we would be a little more serious. About cooperating with the Holy Spirit. In the process. Of sanctification. God's going to build a palace. And he means to come and live there. We are. As the word of God says. The temple of God. So. Sanctification is not a refurbishing project. It's not a renovation. It is a raise to the ground and rebuild. This is what God does in the believer's life. It's not a refurbish. It's a raise and rebuild. God means to bring us into conformity with Jesus. And guess what, beloved? He'll settle for nothing less. He'll settle for nothing less. Praise God. I'm never going to be like Jesus, but with God's help in my life, and God, and the Holy Spirit at work in my life, I'm glad that God doesn't settle for anything less. You know, He's the master artisan. He's gonna He's gonna make a masterpiece out of every one of His people. This is what God does. He's going to complete the good work He's begun. We saw it over in Colossians chapter two, verse ten, a couple of weeks ago. He's going to bring us into completeness which is to say, fullness. It's an awesome thing. Paul has been telling us in Colossians about this awesome salvation. Jesus Christ is God and He saves His people to the uttermost. He needs no help from man-made religion. He needs no help from uh, the legalist or the ascetic or the mystic. God needs no help uh, we are saved in Him, with Him, and through Him, and we are saved forever. And as we've been saying, anyone that's preaching or teaching a Christ plus gospel, we know that it's false. We know that it's wrong. We know that it's demonic. It doesn't mean if it doesn't matter if you call if it's called Catholic or Protestant. Anytime someone says you have got to have Jesus plus this to be saved, you're listening to the father of lies. This is the clear implication of what uh, the Apostle Paul has been saying to us in. Colossians, last week we saw that in chapter 3 the Holy Spirit makes, made the transition. He always makes this transition. He never doesn't make this transition. He's been, Paul was talking doctrine and immediately he turns the corner. Now he's talking application. You know, this is not academic. We've said this many, many times. It's not academic. Uh, Christianity is not academic. We're not, we're not to just file it away with other knowledge. We're supposed to do the Word. This is the implication and the commandment that we have from the New Testament. So the transition has been made. God says, this is true about me. I've radically saved you. Radical grace. Radical love. And then God says, this is how you should live in response to that. We saw last week, we're to set our minds on the things above. We're to set our hearts on the things above. We're to keep seeking the things above. Our, Our worldview is to be dominated by... Our heaven view, right? That's just how it is for a Christian. We're not overly concerned about the next 70 years. We're principally concerned about the next billion eternities when we stand in front of Jesus. That's what we build our life around. That's what the, the, the born-again believer is building his life around. The Holy Spirit has taught us that we're not saved by man-made religion. We are saved by this radical grace of God. God. In Colossians, God says, I've saved you by my omnipotent love and grace. I've buried you with my Son and I've raised you up again with him. I've given you the circumcision without hands, that circumcision of heart. I've nailed your sins to the cross. I've made you alive. You are forever in my Son, secure. Therefore, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, God says consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and greed which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside anger, uh, wrath, malice, slander and abusive speech from your mouth the last several weeks we've been making much of luke nine twenty three, that radical invitation it's it's really the only reasonable response to the 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 gospel of radical grace jesus says if anyone wishes to come after me what let him deny himself take up his cross daily and come on that is the invitation from the master evangelist you know no syrupy emotionalism or psychological manipulation jesus says if you want me come on but here's what it looks like this is what it looks like this is what it looks like it's a radical call to a radical life of faith and every one of his disciples there was no confusion when they heard him say this they'd seen many men crucified they knew exactly what he was saying you got to die to yourself and you got to die to your ego and your vanity and your pride you got to die to that your your uh, daily self-absorption you got to die to that and come after me this is biblical Christianity. There is a death involved. Oh, but guess what is involved? You already know. What? The resurrection. There is a death involved. There's always a death involved. It's a dying to self. But there is a resurrection in the power of God. You know, Paul thoroughly understood this aspect of the Christian life. And I've shared these verses with you the last couple of weeks. I, just real briefly. Paul says, I die daily. 1 Corinthians chapter 1531 Paul says I die daily beloved that's part of sanctification I die daily we talked about this a week or two ago Uh, Galatians 614 Paul says the world has been crucified to me and I to the world I no longer love this world I'm dead to this world my heaven view dominates my worldview and I'm on my way home to be with the Lord Jesus Galatians 220 Paul says I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me Uh, Paul had surrendered everything, everything to the Lord. It is now Christ who lives in me. And Paul got this. This is not some morbid, dark, religious, gloomy thing. It's not that. When, When God calls us to die, He calls us to die to what? Death, ultimately. He says, die to death and walk with me. That's what He's saying. When He calls you out of sin, He says, stop He says, "Stop living in death. Come out of death. That's death. The wages of sin is death. He's calling us out of death. This is what God is calling us out. And when He, when he calls us deeper into sanctification, that's what He's calling us into. He's calling us into life. He's calling us out of death. We are to die to death. We are in Christ dead to death but we are to be putting the, the members of our mortal bodies uh, to death and that they might serve, that we might become slaves of righteousness, Romans chapter 6. Paul understood what God was calling him to die to. It was death. Man, this is a great, this is a beautiful invitation. It's a beautiful invitation. And what we have to hear, you know, the unbeliever, when the unbeliever hears Luke 9, 23, he hears loss. He, he hears, I'm going to lose something. This is going to cost me more than I want it to. But the the believer hears the, the words of God. This is eternal gain. This is life over death. This is infinite gain to me to go with Jesus. It doesn't matter how much it costs temporally. It's infinite gain. The believer hears it. The believer has the ears to hear its gain. It's beautiful, gorgeous, breathtaking gain. Go with the Lord. Romans 8.13, God says, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's calling us out of death and into life. This is, this is salvation. This is sanctification. Romans 8.5, for, for the mindset on the flesh, it's death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and Peace. as god calls us deeper into sanctification he's simply calling us into deeper intimacy with himself and a life worth living and again as i said a while ago if we really had some small sense of what god is saying to us here we would not be hanging back we would not be playing it safe we would be running to jesus and we would be surrendering our lives to him Because in the exchange, we're exchanging eternal death for eternal life. This is what's happening in salvation and in our ongoing sanctification. But no one has been a Christian very long that he hasn't realized that there is a titanic struggle in this whole sanctification process. We can... We can set our minds on sanctification. We can desire it with all our hearts. But we find that there's, there's rebellion resident, resident within us. We, we discover that that's true. You know, many Christians, brand new Christians, they think, well, I'm just going to, man, I'm just going to be holy, man. I'm just going to go and be perfect with Christ. And, you know, that's, that, beloved, that's just not going to happen. We're never going to be sinless. We studied this in 1 John, uh, in the book of Assurance. And I love the Apostle Paul. I love his transparency. Thank thank God for Romans chapter 7. Or I might often wonder if I were a Christian when I sin against the Lord. But the Apostle Paul sinned against the Lord. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. Romans chapter 7. I'm just going to summarize verse 15 to 25. Paul says, "I, I am not practicing what I'd like to do, but I do the very thing I hate. It is the sin which indwells me. For the good I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind. Paul says, sanctification, it's a fight. It's a fight. You've been called to a fight ultimately we are positionally i want to make sure you understand that we are positionally sanctified in jesus it's done that's done but god calls us to sanctify our flesh he's calling us to do that in a practical sense we are positionally sanctified in christ but he's calling us to practical sanctification in our life for our joy for his glory and for the conversion of, law, of the lost. The people, when they see holiness in your life, you know, the, the, the lost person hates that. They hate the light. The, they, they love the darkness. They hate the light. But they've been confronted with the righteousness of God in Christ in this world. So it's, it's, it's part of our, in, in, in essence, it's part of our evangelism. Paul, Paul cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? What's the answer? My religion. My religion my legalism, my asceticism. What was the other one? My mysticism. Is that what he says? No, Christ Jesus will set me free. I am set free. I'm positionally whole in Christ. And now I do battle with my members. As God has commanded us to be holy. You know, Paul is passionately denouncing man-made religion because man-made religion is a whitewash. It's a whitewash. It's, it's an outside-in solution. Christianity is the only uh, viable spiritual alternative on the planet that provides an inside-out solution. It's God coming in and giving you that circumcision, not by hands. It's that heart transplant. It's what God and God alone can do. So we, we praise God for our salvation, but if you've been a Christian very long, you're praising Him for your sanctification because you know you can't do it. You can't do it without Him. We have that promise of God that He will complete the good work He's begun. Praise the Lord. Without Him, we would lose this war, but we won't lose this war because He will never quit. He will never quit. What an awesome God. The sins listed here in verse 5 and also in verse 8 obviously are not exhaustive, but they underscore the reality of sin in general. And that is that sin permeates all of man. Physically and, and mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. Every faculty of man is polluted with sin. Jesus said it in Mark chapter 7: My, my uh, man's heart is the problem. It, it's what flows out of the man's heart that defiles him. It's not what he's doing on the outside, it's what's flowing out of his heart that defiles him. As one theologian said, sin is an inside job and it requires an inside solution. All the sins listed here in verse five, it flow, They flow out of that last sin. In the NAS, the New American Standard version, it said the last sin listed is greed. But I like the King James translation better, and several other of the English translation. It it uh, tra- uh, it translate this this Greek word translated Greek in the uh, Greek uh, greed in the NAS. It translates it into covetousness. Okay, forgive me, covetousness. Now you guys know what covetousness is right you know what it is to covet i looked it up in the dictionary it is to covet um, to covet is to culpably culpably it's one of those (laughs) nights culpably desire something you shouldn't desire i love what the dictionary said it said it's blameworthy desire i love that phrase blameworthy desire it's desiring something that uh, it's desiring something more than god Or it's desiring something that God has forbidden. It is to to covet something for yourself. And it ignores and violates the dictates of God. Whether it's sexual or material, uh, covetousness is ultimately idolatry. Okay, it's ultimately idolatry. It's the, the root of all other sin, pride and covetousness. We talked about this many times Uh, all sin is idolatry why it's because it's it's self-love right it's self-love i'm going to do what i want i don't care what god says i don't care that i'm breathing your air and eating your food and and you made this body as uh chin and i were talking about earlier i don't care that you i don't care i'm going to do what i want to do it's self-love it's idolatry all sin is it's idolatry And I I just want to share this with you. I know I've shared it with you before, but Piper defines sin like this. John Piper, Sin is the suicidal exchange of infinite value and beauty for some fleeting, sugar-coated, inferior substitute. This is a great insult to God. God gets derision and we get death. I love that definition of sin. I love that. It's exchanging the infinite value of God for some sugar-coated, inferior, fleeting substitute. God uh, gets derision and we get death. I love, I read something at MacArthur. John MacArthur says about killing covetousness. I bet you could guess it if I gave you just a few minutes. How can you kill a being covetous? How can you kill it? I bet if I gave you a few minutes you could guess it. But I love what he said. You could be content. You could practice contentment. So how does that work? How do we find contentment in Christ Jesus? In Christ Jesus, there is contentment. Colossians 2.10 again. In Him we are made complete. We are made full. Beloved, if you have genuinely come into a relationship with Jesus, you can confess with the psalmist in Psalm uh, 73.25, Besides Thee, I desire nothing on the earth. What's he saying? Is he saying that that all desires subordinate to to that are, are wrong? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying our preeminent desire is God. Our preeminent lust is God. Holy lust. This is true Christianity. This is conversion. It's not religion. It's not playing games. It's loving God and living like you love God. That's it. It's real simple. I know that guys in robes and... Other people have written volumes and volumes and volumes on Christianity. Beloved, it's always so simple. Jesus says, come with me. That's it. That's it. You just go with Jesus. That's it. That's it. Christ feels the heart He made. He made our hearts. Of course He knows how to fill it. Jeremiah 2, why have you forsaken me, God says, the fountain of living water? Why are you drinking from those broken cisterns that can hold no water? Isaiah 55, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? He says, come to me. Come to me and I'll satisfy you like you've never been satisfied. The problem is many in the church, they want to say they're coming to Jesus, but they're really holding back. I'm only going to come that far. I'm not really going to sell out. Beloved, if you'll sell out to Christ, and I've still got a long way to go. I'm still learning how to do this. But the more I sell out, the more joy I have in my life. The more joy I have in my life. The more radical I go, uh, I'll be with Christ, the happier I am. The happier I am. No matter the circumstance. No matter the circumstance. Sin is death. God is life. Basta! Basta! Sin is death, God is life. When He says, come out of the sin, when He says, hey, stop sinning, He's inviting you into life. It's real simple. And it's real beautiful. Verse 6, He says, because of the re- of rebellion against God, wrath is coming. Because man has freely chosen sin over obedience, idolatry over God, death over life, wrath is coming. We talked a lot about this a, week, a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to belabor it, just to remind you that God's wrath is a biblical truth. It will come. Uh, Psalm 711, He is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 5.5, He hates all who do iniquity. Uh, Deuteronomy 32.41, I will render vengeance to all who hate me. God does not equivocate when it comes to sin. He hates it and He will crush it. He will crush every rebel, every man or woman who is outside of Christ, who stands before Him outside of uh, the sufficient work of of Jesus Christ on the cross. He will be... uh, crushed in hell forever this is the biblical truth i know you don't hear it preached but this is what god says we don't edit god here god will pour out his omnipotent wrath on his enemies he's not he's not shy about talking about it if you'll take the time to read your bible i won't belabor it anymore but piper says sin is the suicidal exchange of god for junk How many of you are still exchanging God for junk? That's what sin is. You're exchanging God for junk. Sanctification is exchanging junk for God. This is the process of sanctification. Verse 7. Verse 7. God says, It's not like that for my people. It's not like that. They've exchanged those broken cisterns and they've come to Me and they're drinking from the fountain of living water. It's not like that for My people. I know they sin. I know they struggle with their sanctification. But there's an Advocate here next to Me and and He intercedes for them and I forgive them, the Father says. It's not like that for My people. God says it used to be like that. You used to be alive to death, but now you're alive to life. You're dead to death, and you're alive to life. You guys know that great text, Ephesians chapter 2. I know I I probably share it. I don't know. It's probably one of the top five verses shared up from this pulpit. But let me just share it with you again. The Bible says you were dead, man. You were dead in your sins uh, in which you formerly walked. You formerly lived in the lust of your flesh, indulging the desires of your flesh. You were by nature a child of wrath. But what happened? Did you get religion? Did you you realize that legalism would save you and mysticism would save you and asceticism would save you? Is that what happened? Did you figure it out? Did you figure out how to get to God on your own? What happened? God saved you. Ephesians chapter 2. Is it verse 5? I don't remember. It's really close to verse 5. God did it. That most beautiful conjunction in all of the English language. You were a child of wrath, but God. Made you alive. Made you alive, beloved. How can we not be in awe of this gospel? And how can we not go out there and live it large for the glory of Jesus? It's a small thing. He's really asked us to do. All we got to do is follow Him. It's not hard. You just follow Him. It's not hard to to follow Him. You just. Go where he's going. You just listen to what he says. You do what he says. It's it's not hard. It's not hard. God says, my kids no longer walk in death. They walk in life. God is giving his people eternal life in exchange for eternal death. Awesome. Verse 8. No longer. uh, So you're now uh, no longer to live in the default mental state of fallen man which is what the smoldering resentment bitterness rage anger wrath malice slander and abusive speech you know you guys know this it's right below the surface isn't it it's always right below the surface this anger that's in in the natural flesh even christians struggle with it it's right below the surface and this is one reason i heard guys say this one reason hell is going to be absolute hell because uh it will be unrestrained rage by all the inhabitants. Not simply will Satan be there to torment, but it's unrestrained rage. There are, there are no inhibitions in hell. We know that it's right below the surface of all mankind. God says, My people don't have that disposition anymore. That's the disposition of the adversary. My my children don't have that disposition. What's our disposition? Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. What? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the disposition of the children of God. Certainly we don't do this perfectly. But God is moving us in that direction to walk like that, to think like that, to react like that. And the, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more real these things are as you surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit. Let's finish up here, verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you lay aside the old self which, which with its evil practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed to a, a true knowledge according to the image of the One who created him god says don't lie to one another that looks like that looks like uh that looks like the adversary he's the father of lies stop lying to one another don't do that god says in fact this is one of those six sins that god specifically says he hates in proverbs chapter 6 he says i hate a false witness who utters lies god says i hate that he says my people my people are not liars my people are not liars. He says, I've saved you radically, therefore, don't lie. Don't lie. My people do not lie to one another. They've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Look what God says there in verse 9 and 10. He says, lay it aside. Lay aside that old self and put on the new self. That's what He says. You do it. Again, we're looking at sovereignty and responsibility. That's your responsibility. He's given you the new self. He says, now lay aside the old self and put on the new self. That's your responsibility. He's given you the new self. He's telling you to use it, to walk in it. God is sanctifying His people through the work of His Spirit, but He is explicitly calling us to cooperate in that process. It's as, split, it's, it's as clear as, that, as it can be. God says, take off the old and put on the new. It's almost—it's a picture of like taking off your dirty clothes and putting on new clothes. In fact, in the early church when they baptized someone, there, in many places there was a ceremony where the, the, the guy to be baptized, he would take off all of his old clothes and he would, he would burn them. And he would be baptized, and the body, the local body would buy him a new robe, and he would have a brand new robe. It was symbolic. He was taking off the old, and he was putting on the new. Beloved, is that how it is in your Christianity? Did that transaction happen? That transaction should have happened. You may not have mentally thought about it like that, but we are taking off the old and putting on the new. We are putting on the new what real christians do it's what biblical christianity looks like and i I love what piper says about this he says you know if we're not cooperating with the holy spirit in our sanctification we are merely playing religious games it's just a game if there's no change of the heart if there's no if you're not progressing in holiness then you have every reason to question your uh, profession of faith in christ you have every reason to, to question whether you've been converted at all it's not to say that, that, a, that a, a Christian can't fall, egregiously fall, seriously fall. Not, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if there's an unbroken pattern of rebellion in your life, and I tell you this in love, you have every reason to question whether your profession of faith in Christ is legitimate. I'm just telling you what 1 John says. Go read it. Go read 1 John. Ephesians 2 Uh, 22 24, lay aside the old self, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self, which is the likeness of God. Put on the God label. Amen. We're in the fashion capital of the world. Good way for you to remember it. Put on the Jesus label. That's what he's saying. Take off that, you know, take off the gym junk and put on the Jesus label and wear it every day. Wear the God label. Eugene Peterson says it like this get rid of the self fashioned life and put on the God fashioned life verse 10 the new self is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image uh, of the one who created us who created us colossians chapter 1 verse 16 jesus did so how how do we come to true knowledge about him and what he's called us to do how do we do that anyone how do we do that we watch youtube and uh, oprah right no how do we do it you guys know how you do it that's why we preach out of this every week i don't give you three poems and a nice funny story and one verse that ripped out of context that means nothing And, and we don't have women's bible studies and young adult bible studies and men's bible studies for nothing it's because it's everything you can't you can't live the christian life without this it's like trying to function physically without eating you must have the Word of God. Listen to the psalmist here. I'm going to read from Psalm 119. Many of you will recognize this. I understand. He says, the psalmist says, I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's a believer feeding on the Word of God as the Holy Spirit is teaching him and changing him and growing him and encouraging him. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Beloved, this is sanctification. God says, my kids are perpetually and increasingly taking off the old self. They're taking off unbelief and disobedience and idolatry and pride and covetousness and lust and anger and, and uh, self-absorption. They're taking this off and they're putting me on. They're putting Christ on. Putting on the Christ label. I love what MacArthur says. He says, and this, all of you, can, all of you born-again Christians in here can, can say amen to this. I'm not exactly like Jesus today, but I'm more like Him than I used to be. (laughs) Thanks to the work of the Holy Spirit within us as He teaches His Word to us. To borrow Paul's word, I'm to die daily to the old gem, and daily I am to put on the new gem. The new gem that was uh, raised up in the resurrection power of Christ the new begotten of God Jim we'll read John chapter 3 the begotten of God Jim and every man around me is supposed to see that what's going on in my life was wrought it's the work of God it was wrought through God religion didn't do what happened to Jim God did what happened to Jim and you know what oh, I'd hate to still be religious I'd still be sitting in that church pew looking at my watch, can't waiting to leave. You know, it was awful. It was kind of like, you know, pretending to be something you're not, it's really an awful thing. It's really an awful thing. And trying to be righteous when you really don't care, you just want to go home and watch the football game. I mean, you know, it was just awful. Now I love it. I love how Jen said it. Uh, I heard her say it one time. And I love it. I've repeated it several times. She said, you may not even remember this, Jim, but one time you said, you know, once Jesus just wasn't really very interesting to me. And now He's everything. I love it. This is salvation. This is sanctification. God is pristinely uh, pristinely clear in Colossians. He saved us. He did it. We're saved by His radical love and radical grace. Man-made religion had nothing to do with it. God says, I, I, I've, I've saved you radically and I'm calling you to a, a stranger and exile kind of life. And I know I call you to that almost every week. I'm just reminding you that you're called to a stranger and exile kind of life. A life of earnestly seeking the things above. A life of ever-increasing holiness. A life that looks more and more like Jesus all the time. I want to close with Romans 6, 11-13. Romans 6, 11 through 13 Listen to the Apostle Paul. Listen to God here through His Apostle. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This is the Word of God, beloved. This is the Word of God. God has called you, if you call yourself a Christian tonight, God has called you to radically pursue sanctification in your life. Your ultimate ultimate assurance of your sanctification rests in what He's doing. But God has called you He's called you to go with Him, to follow Him, to walk with Him. And He's called you to holiness. He's called you to that. Beloved, go be holy. Go be holy. It's life. It's life. It's joy. This is what God has called us to. He says, die to death and come alive to the life I give. This is the Word of God. This is the Gospel. Let's pray together. As always, Father, we are in awe. Words do not suffice, they never suffice. We can't touch the hem of Jesus' garment, we can't touch the hem of the glory of your grace. We can't even really communicate the depth and the profundity of all that You've done in our behalf. Lord God, forgive us if we have not been utterly stunned and moved by who You are and what You've done. Forgive us, Lord, if if we've settled into kind of a small Christian existence. Forgive us, God. I know that this is not pleasing to You. I know You're calling us to uh, a radical life of radical faith, following and obeying, serving you and loving the brothers, sharing the gospel with the lost. It's the only reason you left us here. It'd be far better for us to be with you. It'd be far better by far to be with Jesus. But you've left us here to do a thing, and Lord I pray that we would be busy about your business. Father, thank you for this this great call to sanctification. Father, thank you that our assurance of it is you. It is holy Uh, incumbent upon what you do we rest in your finished work we rest in the fact that your hand is on us we rest in your promise that you will complete the good work you've begun thank you great god for your sovereign work in this but lord i pray you'll give us the faith and the burden and the drive to lay aside the old self and to put on the new self to wear the jesus label in, in a conspicuous way where we work and where we go to school and and where we go out to eat, and in our neighborhood, and with our spouse, and with our kids, that that we would wear the Jesus label. Lord, help help us to spend these last few moments we have on the earth honoring You in a way that brings You pleasure. We pray all this in the beautiful and sufficient name of our mighty Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.